I know what you're thinking. Um, did I just sit through a beer commercial at church? And the answer to that would be yes. Yes, you did. Um, you're welcome. Um, this is what happens when we have to be creative about meeting the budget, right? So, uh, no, I'm totally kidding. That's not. Um, so you may have recognized this if you watched the Super Bowl last week. Uh, this is one of, in my opinion, one of the, the better commercials uh, from the Super Bowl commercials, which is, you know, my favorite part of the Super Bowl. Uh, and of course, in this commercial, you see these two guys who are just doing stuff together. One activity after the next. And in the context, they're taking, it's, it's of course, really creative. Uh, they're taking these snippets of these guys talking about, or one of the guys talking about the activities they're a part of, and they're piecing them together to give this picture of how this friendship is being built. They're doing life together, and in the process, they're becoming friends. And of course, they happen to have beer. <clears throat> well, uh, if you're new with us, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And as you know, if you've been anywhere that's selling anything, uh, it is Valentine's Day this week, right? It's, it's the time when we, we celebrate love, or at least buying things that are love-themed. Um, and, and, you know, it's really helpful that that time exists because it's February, and what else would we celebrate, right? Maybe President's Day or, or National Battery Day, which happens to be on February 18th. Actually, this is a really good holiday. If you're like me and you forget batteries a lot, February 18th, mark your calendars, it's National Battery Day. Um, but no, not to be cynical, you know, there's, there's great reasons to celebrate um, Valentine's Day, to celebrate love, um, but we often do that with a, a fairly narrow focus. We celebrate one type of love, which is a legitimate kind, but not the only one, maybe not even the most important one. And so as we are in this kind of time period where we're celebrating love, we're going to start a series on love, um, and, and we're going to use as kind of our, our framework for it this classic book written by a guy named C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a, an Oxford scholar who came to faith in his early 30s and kind of became famous writing these books about the Christian faith. And so we're going to look at some, he wrote this book called The Four Loves and looks at four different kinds of love. And so we're going to take one each week and look at it. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to look at scripture and how scripture kind of influences how we see this and how these kinds of loves, why they matter why engaging with love in these various ways are important in our lives. So we're going to do that over the next couple of weeks. We're going to start this week looking at friendship. Next week, we're going to look at romance. And then the week after that, we're going to look at the love that we often experience between families. And then finally, what C.S. Lewis calls charity, unconditional love. But this week, we're going to look at friendship. Um, now, <clears throat> before we kind of jump in too much, if you know anyone over the next couple of weeks who you think is, is struggling in one of these types of relationships, this could be a great opportunity to bring them, uh, have some conversation afterwards, go out to lunch, grab coffee, and have some further conversation about how this stuff kind of interacts with their lives. Uh, at the end of our time this morning, we're going to have some time for a Q&A we do every week. So I encourage you, if there's questions you have as I'm speaking, um, or just something that kind of you feel like you could add to the conversation, uh, we'll give you some time to interact around that at the end. So uh, Carmen will be around with the mic. We'll let you know when that's coming, but think about that. <clears throat> so friendship. We, we think of the term friend 
pretty broadly, typically, right? Like when, when we use the word friend, we use it for a bunch of different kinds of relationships. So a friend could be someone who we've known for the last two or three decades, who knows kind of everything about us, who just gets us, right? That, that's a friend. Or a friend could be one of the 1,200 random people who happen to know you on social media, that if you ran into them in person, you might not recognize them. Okay, like, we use the term friend kind of for all of these relationships. And some of us, we have so many friends that we feel overwhelmed with trying to keep up with them all. It's just impossible for us to see all of our friends all the time because we have so many of them, and that's great. But then others, well, we don't know really if we'd call anyone a friend. I mean, we have people we like, people we, we hang out with, but friends? I mean, I had friends in high school, I had, had friends in college, but, you know, now I have work and kids and responsibilities, and who has time for friends, really? Well, when C.S. Lewis explores this concept of friendship, he uses he kind of separates between two different categories. One he calls companions, and the other he calls friends. Companions are these kind of people who, it's a really important role, actually. They're people that we end up building relationships with just because we happen to be doing the things that we're doing in life. And so you're involved in the PTA, and, and the people you're involved with, you have conversations with, and you get to know, and they're companions. Or, or you're coaching in in a youth league. And so as you're coaching, you're getting to know the people around you and, and their companions. Or, or you have co-workers or neighbors. These are people that you're building relationships with. Companionship is a, a vital part of life. Th- these relationships make life richer. But it's possible to have lots of companions and no real friends. People who kind of know you on the surface, but no one who really, really sees the world in a way that resonates with you, who you feel connected to. I mean, we all kind of know what it's like to be in a room full of people and yet feel alone, not really understood. I was at a conference uh, last summer uh, for the BIC, the Brethren in Christ, which is our kind of family of churches. Um, and, you know, so it's like pastors from all over the country. And if you've been here, you've heard me talk about it. I, I kind of, I'm a, I'm a lazy gatherer of information. So I, I listen to podcasts a lot, right? So it's kind of the, it's one of the ways that I can do lots of other things and still learn stuff. And uh, there's a couple of people who I listen to who do kind of geeky podcasts that I really like a lot that happen to be at this conference. And so I knew people who knew them. And so I got, I was like, hey, could you introduce me? Because that would be really cool. And it was about as awkward as you could imagine, right? Like I, I in my mind was like, oh, these, these people that they talk about these things that are really amazing and interesting to me. And so meeting them would be so awesome. And, and then you meet them and it's like, hey, I listened to your thing and it's really cool. That's it. And it was literally like that. Like the one, the one conversation went a little better. The other one, uh, it was literally that awkward. I was like, hi, how are you? I heard you on that podcast and I really appreciated what you had to say. She was like, great. I was like, that's really it. I have nothing else. <laughs> but it was nice to meet you. And it kind of ended like that. Um, and so, but then later in the week, 
there was a con- uh, kind of an off-site conversation a bunch of us had. We got together, and there was something we were, we were kind of concerned about. And so we talked about that together. And it was really great. And so the last night, some of these people whose podcasts I listened to and some of their friends, um, they went out for tacos, and they invited me to come. And I was like, this is cool. I'm going to hang out with these people. They're going to be my friends. Like, it's going to be really cool. Um, and so uh, I walked to this taco shop. And, uh, and as I'm walking, and it was like a mile away. I mean, I don't know how I got talked into this and, and why I didn't get a ride. But I, I'm walking. I'm talking to my wife on the phone, actually. She's like, where are you going? I'm like, I don't know. I just know it's kind of in this direction. Um, and so I found the taco shop. But as I'm walking to it, I walk past this, this pub. And they had this kind of outdoor seating area, these cool Adirondack chairs on the street. And a couple of guys I did actually know, uh, who I was friends with, were, were hanging out, just enjoying the night together. They're like, hey, grab a seat. You know, hang out with us. And I was like, hey, it's cool, but I'm going to hang out with these people. And they were like, yeah, that's all right. Go do that. So I went, and I had tacos, and they were good tacos. But halfway through the conversation, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, it became really clear to me that uh, these are not my people. Like, or I'm not their people, right? I mean, they were having cool conversation, and they all were really engaged and, and talking to one another. And at one point, you know, I don't know if this happened to you. It happens to me a lot. We start going around, and everyone's telling this really funny story that's connected. And everyone's laughing, and they're engaged, and it gets to me. And I start telling this great story, and about halfway through, I'm like, there's one person who's kind of listening to me. Everyone else has had sight. So you kind of trail off at the end. And the person who's trying to be nice was like, oh, that was a great story. And you're just like, yeah, never, I, why am I even here? I don't know. So that's kind of how that conversation went, right? And so we got done, and I ate my tacos, and they're all having a great time, and I threw my stuff away, and I'm like, this was, this was lame. I'm going back to the, my, my dorm bunk at my conference. So I start walking back, and I pass these two guys who are hanging out in Adirondack chairs. They're still talking. They're like, you sure you don't want to join us? Sure. Can't be worse than that conversation. So, uh, so I pulled one up, sat with them, and we talked for the next two hours. It was great. It was really enjoyable. And my, the one guy I knew really well, the other guy not so well, and the guy I knew well, Drew, he's like, you know, I knew you guys should have met each other because I just, I just figured you'd click. There was something really different about those two encounters. One group of people who I really, really wanted to be friends with, it just didn't work. I mean, it was cool. I was glad to have that connection. But it was clear that we're not going to be, like, tight. But these other two, who I almost took for granted, ended up being a really, really great conversation. People who I'm in, in continued relationship with even now, getting closer to. The one group were friends. The others were companions. C.S. Lewis, when he talks about the difference between these, he explains it this way. It's a little bit of a, a longer quote, but I think it's a really helpful framework for what friendship is. Lewis writes, Friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share, and which, till that moment, each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, What, you too? I thought I was the only one. In this kind of love, as Emerson said, Do you love me? means, Do you see the same truth? 
Or at least, do you care about the same truth? The man who agrees with us that some question, little regarded by others, is of great importance, can be our friend. He need not agree with us about the answer. Now, I know that's a pretty dense quote. But if you kind of see what Lewis is getting at, it's this idea that, that friendship is formed around this common sense of purpose or mission. This shared value or shared truth. And it's not necessarily about agreement, but it's about a commitment towards that same truth, going in the same direction. And because of that, this definition of friendship, this this picture of friendship that Lewis paints, is one that almost always happens in the context of activity, of doing something meaningful together, right? This is kind of what was represented in the uh, the beer commercial, this like side by side, this this connection that develops not because we sit down over coffee together, but because we're doing something together, and it may or may not be super meaningful. At least not maybe in the the meta kind of the grand scheme of things, but we have this shared interest, and in the process of doing it, we're building friendship. So that could be something like volunteer work. You're volunteering in the community, doing something that matters, that you care passionately about. Maybe it's something even here in the context of the church. A number of people here have built deep, meaningful friendships as they've served together here at church. Maybe it's a coworker that you get put on a project with, that you're you're having to kind of figure out some really difficult tasks and you're having to work together using different skills and you grow this sense of camaraderie, friendship. We, yeah, we gave it the office. Don't, um, I don't know who's knocking. We'll check it out. Um, maybe, I'm sorry, I got completely distracted on that. Maybe it's something like sports. Maybe you're part of a, a pickup basketball league or you have some other people who do some kind of athletic activity that you really enjoy, and you do that with them. And in the process, you build a friendship. Not because the thing itself is like the most important thing in the world, but because there's this shared interest. There's this this truth that you both share, that you're both working toward together. And in the process of doing so, you build a connection. You build friendship. And this isn't to say that in, in friendship there isn't, and a place or it's not important to have those face-to-face moments. There's a place for those. They can be really helpful. But the key in friendship is the shared activity. It's the shoulder-to-shoulder, not the face-to-face. It's the working towards something that's bigger than yourselves, that's bigger than just the relationship that actually solidifies the relationship, that brings friendship. And it might be obvious, but because this is the nature of friendship, some of the tightest friendships form around some of the most difficult challenges, some of the most intense experiences. That's why it's really common to find people who've served in the military or in some nonprofit working in a really difficult area to have forged some of their deepest friendships, even if those were for really brief periods of time. They look back on those times and say, those people are my my family. 
those are the most, those are the closest relationships I've ever had. Or if someone's struggled with an intense illness and they've been in groups where they've met people who share that same struggle, there's a way in which friendship can be formed that's deeper than anything you experience. Just be, it, It's a, a qualitative experience that's much more, it, it's just a much greater depth than a simple quantitative experience, right? Just because you have 15 years of relationship, it might not equal the same depth as that brief but intense partnership on the same journey. That's the friendship that that Lewis is talking about, that kind of, that relationship that forms around a shared activity. Now, um, for many people, the sporting event that they most get excited about every year is the Super Bowl. For me, um, the sporting event that most catches my attention every year is the Duke-Carolina game. Um, and this happens, if we're lucky, three times, sometimes maybe even four, depending, but um, at least twice. Um, now, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about and are currently, your eyes are rolling back in your head, uh, we'll, we'll try to move through this quickly, and it does have a point. But uh, basically, this is a, this is a, it's the biggest rivalry in college basketball. Uh, these are schools that are about eight miles apart that play every year. And uh, I am a North Carolina fan. It runs deep. We've cheered for them all of my life. My family has. It's the one thing I'm kind of trying to um, get my kids to love uh, I, we, were sit- yeah, we were sitting on the sofa this week watching this game, and I literally had this conversation with my 12-year-old daughter. Um, Honey, you can't hate people, but you can hate Duke. Like, that's really okay. This is, this is the one thing in your life that I'm actually asking you to learn to hate. And my wife is sitting beside me, rolling her eyes and saying all sorts of things that are just not steeped in reality, right? Like, this doesn't matter that much, Tim. And I'm just like, who, who are you? Um, but anyway, so, so this is, like, I bring a certain level of passion here. Now, um, who you see here are Joel Berry II is uh, the point guard for North Carolina. He's the guy in the white jersey. Um, and then the other guy, who I, I shudder to say his name, is Grayson Allen. He's a guard for Duke. And uh, I could... I'm not going to go into that. You can ask me later about Grayson Allen. But I, I would have to say this, this preparing for this sermon um, has been kind of a, a time of, of repentance and reflection for me. Because I, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of Grayson Allen. There's a lot of reasons for that. But I was reading, I was reading an article this week on uh, ESPN.com, and they were talking about the friendship that exists between Joel Berry II and Grayson Allen. And it, it caught my attention because I was like, First of all, how can anyone be a friend with anyone from Duke? And then secondly, here are two people who are on teams that, like, they're at war. They hate each other, but they're friends. How does that work? And so I'm I'm reading the article, and they're talking about the fact that these are both athletes who were, um, they were number one and number two coming out of Florida uh, their senior years in high school, Um, the best basketball players in, in all of the state. And so they knew each other. They played AAUs together. Um, they would play together in various, uh, various venues. And they developed this friendship because very few people were as passionate about basketball as the two of them. Very few people would go to the lengths that they would go to to excel at the game 
And so because of that, even though they were, they were rivals, they developed this mutual admiration of one another that, that blossomed into a friendship. So much so that their families know each other and, and will call one another to congratulate each other after victories. They were interviewing a friend of the two of them, and he said this specifically about their friendship. He said, it's hard to find somebody that loves the game like Grayson. Both of them have the heart to win everything. They see the same truth. Now, you might say, but it's basketball. It doesn't really matter. That's fine. It's not about whether or not it's objectively this incredibly important thing. It's, it's a value that they share together that's bigger than either of them, that's bigger even than their rivalry, this desire to be the best at their sport, this ambition that they share that brings them together. It's something bigger than the two of them, this, this truth that they both love that brings them together. And as we look at, at friendship, this is the picture that Lewis gives us, and, and it's the picture that we, we just experience is true in life. Friendships are forged, really meaningful friendships, around this shared vision of a common truth, something bigger than ourselves that we live for. And in the process, we learn to love and to serve those who are on the journey with us. Scriptures talk about this kind of friendship. There's a, there's a passage in, in Proverbs. Proverbs is this book you find kind of in the middle of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. And it is what it sounds like. They are Proverbs. They are not necessarily kind of, it's not a narrative. It's not like a kind of a, an overarching story. It's these sayings, these wis, this wisdom literature. And in chapter 27 of Proverbs, we see a number of descriptions of what Scripture would define as a, a good friend. We read in Proverbs chapter 27, beginning of verse 6, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. When disaster strikes, you won't have to ask your brother for assistance. It's better to go to a neighbor than to a brother who lives far away. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. This is a pretty attractive picture of friendship. Someone who, who cares about the same truth to the extent that if they see you deviating from that truth, they'll call you on it. They'll challenge you, call you back to this thing that's just bigger than you. People who care enough about you that they're willing to, to come to you without judgment and give counsel, even if it's hard for you to hear. People who stick with you when times get hard. People who help you become your best self. This is the picture of friendship that the Proverbs gives us. This is the kind of relationship, this is the kind of, of friendship that we're looking for to experience life to the fullest. Those who will walk with us towards the same truth and help us become our best selves along the way.
So how do we get these relationships? How do we, how do we develop friendships like these, if that's attractive to you? Well, for one, you may be sitting there going, I already have some of those. Like, there are people in my life who I would point to and say, yes, these are, these are friends. They are people who see the same truth, who get me in a way that others don't. We're on this journey together, and it's been great. And I guess if, if that's you, the one thing I would just want to encourage you with is don't take those relationships for granted. I know that we're all really, really busy. There's a lot going on. But consider how you might take time to cultivate those relationships more fully, to recognize the gift of those friendships, and to cultivate them in your life. As C.S. Lewis says, friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. And I think particularly when we are busy, when, we're, when our lives feel harried and full, we kind of, everything that doesn't have, uh, you know, survival value kind of gets edged out of our lives. We only have time for the urgent things, the things that if we don't deal with them will explode in our faces. But that's not a very, that, I don't know about you, that's not the kind of life I want to live. I don't want to get to the end and look back and say, well, nothing blew up on me. I want a life full of deep and meaningful friendship. It doesn't have to be 20 of them. But that's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen unless we're willing to cultivate those relationships if you have them. So receive friendship as a gift a gift from God to make life all it's intended to be. It's not all you need, not by a long shot, but it's a good gift that we need to receive. But some of us might struggle with this. Again, maybe, maybe you look back and you say, you know, there were, there were places in my life where I did have meaningful friendships. Those were really good, but... Again, maybe it was high school, maybe it was college, maybe it was that one time when I did that one thing and it was really cool, but now I just don't, I don't have space for that in my life. But I'd love to. If that's you, a couple of thoughts on how we might begin to develop these kinds of relationships. First of all, a final quote I want to read from Lewis regarding developing friends. He says this, <clears throat> People who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. <clears throat> this is one of the really, I think, helpful perspectives that Lewis brings to this. It's easy for us to think that if we lack these kinds of relationships, that the key is kind of like me with the guys at the taco shop saying, let's be friends. Like, let's all get together and just be friends. But that's actually 
the least helpful thing you can do if what you want is a friend, right? I mean, we've all had those friends. The needy person who just needs you all the time. They need you to need them. That, that's not an incredibly enjoyable relationship to be in. So if we want friends, the key is not to need friends. The key is, I think, at least to start, is to learn how to be happy without friends. <clears throat> right? Learn to be okay without friends. And that sounds contradictory. So the way you get friends is by not needing them. But it's not. We need to first come to a place where we are okay with ourselves just as we are. Where we're not looking... You were not made to be completed by another person. You were not created so that... And this we often think about this in terms of romance, but it's just as true with, with friendship. You were not made with some gaping hole that you need another individual to fill, that if you just find the right friend, they'll make it all better. If you're functioning in that way, you're doing exactly the opposite thing that will help you find meaningful relationships. You're going to drive away people who might be really valuable friends because all you're trying to do is take something from them. You're not offering anything. The first step for us, if we want to develop friendships, is to learn to be okay without friends. And for Christians, for those of us who are looking to follow in the way of Jesus, this is one of the core understandings of our relationship with our Creator. It sounds really cheesy to say, God wants to be your friend. But it's actually true. That one of the things we come to see as we look at the life of Jesus and we see the teachings of Jesus is that the invitation to know our Creator is not just to know about our Creator, to learn lots of facts about the one who created everything, to have a general sense of understanding that somewhere there exists this impersonal creator doing things that we have to, to obey. This is not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is that the creator is one who wants to know you and be known by you. That wants to be your friend. And I'm not, I'm not just adding that word. In, in John's gospel, the, the fourth biography of Jesus, as Jesus is giving his kind of final uh, a sermon, if you will, though it wasn't a sermon. He's, he's having a conversation with his closest friends right before he's about to go to his death. And listen to what he says in John chapter 15, beginning verse 9. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's a little mind-blowing to think about that our claim is that in Jesus, the creator of all things has taken on flesh. But it's, it's not just that. It's that the creator of all things is inviting us into friendship, into this shared sense of truth, Whereas we, as we follow it with him, we become friends. 
we grow in our understanding of the Creator, our love for commitment to understanding of friendship with the Creator of all things, and the Creator with us becomes our friend. This is the message of Jesus. It's an invitation into friendship. The core relationship of our lives is this friendship with our Creator. That is what we were created to be fulfilled by. And when we come to understand that, then we don't need to use other people. We're free to, as Jesus said, to love others. In fact, part of what it means to become friends with God is to catch this vision for living a life of self-giving love for others. Not using other people to get what we need, but spending our lives for the sake of others. And so when we come to find that we're friends with the Creator, it frees us from using other people to get what we need. It enables us to be better friends. So I'd encourage you, as you think about what it looks like to develop friendships, to spend some time reflecting on how you're doing without friends. That, That might look differently for different ones of us. You know, you, you might be in a place where you need to see a counselor, work on some things that are going on in your life, some struggles you're having. That's really good and appropriate. Maybe you're at a place where what you really need is to spend some time reflecting on, on Scripture, praying, reflecting on what it is that God says about who you are and the kind of life you've been invited to. Whatever it is, the first step towards getting friends is us learning to be okay without them. Learning to be okay in our own skin as we are. You don't need to be completed by anyone. And I'm not suggesting that you isolate yourself from people. Not at all. Just that you don't use people to get things you weren't created to get from others. You were created to get from your creator. So that's the first one. Learn to be okay without friends. The second one would be, be yourself. Find some things that you like doing and do them. Right? Like, so develop some hobbies. Um, because as you learn to care about something, you will find yourself around other people who care about the same thing. And then the opportunity exists for you to develop friendships around something bigger than yourself, right? So again, this could be something that has incredible significance, right? It could mean something like volunteering in in a local nonprofit, volunteering here at church. It could be, you know, doing something for someone who's in need. All of those things could be an, an incredible opportunity for you to build meaningful relationships. But it could also be something like Segway Croquet, Right? Or, or playing pickup basketball. Or, you know, joining a rotary. Or whatever. Figure out what you're interested in. And do that. Carve out some time to develop that aspect of who you are. And as you do that, 
you will find yourself around people who kind of see the same truth, who care about the same things, and it creates an opportunity for you to develop meaningful friendship. And then finally, learn to be okay without friends, be yourself, and as you are yourself and you look around and find yourself on this journey with other people, be a friend. You know that old adage that your, your mom used to tell you when you would come home and be like, I don't have any friends. And maybe that wasn't you. But um, she'd say, the best way to have a friend is to what? To be a friend, right? Yeah, we all heard that. And you're like, yeah, whatever. But no, it's true, right? Like, If you're in a place where you're comfortable in your own skin, where you feel good about who you are, you find something that you love, and you look around and there are people around you pursuing the same truth, and you figure out how to be a friend to them, you'll be amazed at how quickly genuine friendships develop. Because what is being a friend? What's caring about the needs of others? It's loving someone, not because of what you can get for them, but because of what you can offer. And along the way, you enjoy it. It brings you joy and meaning, and it's fun. But you're not trying to get something from them that they can't give you. You're simply being a friend in the way of Jesus, giving yourself for others who are working towards the same end. This is kind of the image of a friendship that that Lewis paints for us. But even more, this is the image of friendship that Jesus gives us. That this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That it's not like we're in it just for the people. But that as we live for this larger truth, we find that there are others on the journey with us who are living for this larger truth. And we have the opportunity to create deep and meaningful relationships that make life beautiful. They're not necessary for survival. But man, life would be boring and dry without them. So my prayer, my hope for you, for me, as we move through this time, not just Valentine's Day, um, but life, is that we learn to be comfortable in our own skin, to recognize first and foremost our, our friendship with our Creator. And that in the process, we look around and find some people who are on the journey with us who add beauty and meaning. Father, I'm really grateful that um, you do not just give us lives um, that are about kind of utility and um, accomplishing the things that we need to do for our survival, but you invite us into lives that have beauty and meaning and friendship. And I pray for myself and for my friends that we would learn to be people who develop friendships, that we, we become comfortable in our own skin, recognize that we are loved by you, that we are friends with you, that we find the things that we love in our life and create space to pursue them, and that in the process that we're able to cultivate and develop meaningful friendships that enrich our lives as we look to follow you together, giving ourselves in love, 
for friends, and for all people. We ask this in Jesus' name.